Welcome to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Get ready to find your free will from your roots in the stars. Hello and greetings. Tonight is October 24th. 2020. And as far as Talk Cosmos considers, we're in the archetype of Scorpio. No, we're in the archetype of Libra, but the moon is in Scorpio and it is shining. Yeah, we're in Scorpio. Oh, we are in Scorpio. Oh my <laughs> goodness. That's thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, okay. I'm going to retract. We're in the sign of Scorpio and the moon is in Aquarius. I knew there was a relationship because they're square, but at any rate, okay. So our subject is going to be this conjunction between Jupiter, the great gas giant, the largest in our solar system and Pluto, the tiniest. It's actually about half the size of Mercury or the moon, which are relatively the same size. But dynamics, energy, it doesn't, isn't according to size. And this conjunction is as a cycle occurs every 12 or 13 years. But there are significant details that my wonderful guest member and I will talk about. A few things to mention is that Jupiter symbolized by the oak tree and the eagle. You know, it soars up. And Pluto, the brother to Jupiter, and is is of the underworld, so it's the depths of the being, and it's also rebirth. So potentially, in a nutshell, we could say that leading after re rebirth, which is a process, there's abundance. Well, we will talk about this more, and it is time now for Planet Buzz. Focusing on planetary ecliptic orbital cycles and planetary pairs called synodic cycles connecting the planets at the same degree that begin our relationship, these are the members of Planet Buzz. I'm Sue Rose Minahan, host of Talk Cosmos, an evolutionary astrologer and consultant, plus a certified color energy coach. I explore creative expression as an artist, a musician, and write abundantly, stories to poetry. I love investigating mythology's language, philosophizing eternity, and I'm a perpetual student of life, seeing oneness of body, spirit of people, animals, and nature. And I'm Dr. Laura Tad. I have a PhD in human science and work as a spiritually oriented psychological astrologer with people around the world. I teach and lecture on astrology both in person and remotely. I have a blog. I have written for the Mountain Astrologer, Celestial Vibes, and Tarot.com. Additionally, I am the educational coordinator for Live Life Resources, an educational nonprofit specializing in resiliency training, education, and research. And as the ancient Hermetic Code reveals, as below, as above, as above, as below. Yes, indeed. And that's 
a lot of the cycles that we're talking about. And thank you, Dr. Ted, for reminding me. If I had looked at my notes, I had it very clear. Scorpio, Sun, Aquarius, Moon. But this conjunction is going that we're speaking of for our audience sake is on November 12th. So it's about two and a half weeks from now. And um, the first one was April 24th. The second one was June 29th. And they're within degrees of each other. The April 24th and the June 29th were 24 degrees, although it was almost 25 degrees on April 24th. And then this one is going to be 22 degrees and 51 seconds, which is very close to that big stellium conjunction we had back in January. But there's many other factors. So, Dr. Tad, I'm glad to join in on this complexity with you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me again. There's definitely a lot to talk about and and unpack with this third and last um, Jupiter-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn, right? None of us will be alive the next time Jupiter and Pluto are conjuncting Capricorn again, right? That's, oh. <laughs> yeah, that won't happen again in our lifetime. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't look that far. I well, went from like... Jupiter gets into Aquarius at the end of this year. Oh, of course. That's right. That's right. That's right. There Jupiter is a, and Pluto a, will be conjunct again, but they won't be conjunct again in Capricorn for a couple of centuries. Okay. Uh, because we did go back in the yes. common era. And so, and it hasn't occurred too many times, but... That's right. It's a 250-year cycle. Yes. Yeah. So they're they're conjunct as planets every 12, 13 years, but they're both always moving. And so they don't meet up again. You know, 13 years from now, Pluto's no longer in Capricorn. No, absolutely. Yeah, because it's 250-year cycle. That's right. It'll be an Aquarius. Um, and so this is, I always sort of think, you know, and it's from the research I was doing over the last century or so, you know, the I, them going through a retrograde cycle and meeting up three times um, in a single year or a single cycle of, of uh, Jupiter going around the Zodiac is unusual, right? It's happened once in the last, since the 1800s. It happened in the 50s, but even though they meet up every 13 years, it's less like less usual that they have this repeated engagement with each other. I was astonished with that too, because as I, I went back to the common era, now I didn't necessarily at first specify that they were in Capricorn, but just to see their conjunctions. Yeah. And no, that what I it was in Capricorn. That's right. I'm looking. I'm looking at my notes now. <laughs> Jupiter, Pluto, Capricorn, because in 550 they were, and three times, and the next time was 1285. But that is very after you're considering 2,000 years. That's only for three consecutive, yeah, uh, uh, conjunctions. That's 2020. So it's yes, it's. Very unusual. And, and I always think of retrogrades 
as you know, when it's this last pass in that retrograde cycle, even, you know, whether it's Mercury or Pluto, whatever that, because they were both retrograde, which is part of why they ended up with the second conjunction at almost the same degree that was when they first met up is that both planets went retrograde. Um, But that it's like, I think about it kind of the image I always sort of see is like of sweeping and the last pass is like, you're getting up the last little bit of the last pass with the broom. You're getting the last little bit of shards picking that, you know, it's the last finishing up what was initiated with the first connection. It, I can see it. I like that. It's a very uh, collective thing. And you also brought up just earlier that series, no, not series. Now, see, I keep bringing up series because on the degree is 22 degrees. And on January 12th, when we had that huge stellium, series was at 22 degrees. And series is an asteroid uh, and also the sister to Pluto. And so there's in mythology quite a, and also the reason why Pluto got demoted because of the Ceres size. Is larger. Yeah, and Ceres is actually larger. And so for astronomers, there needed to be some system because perhaps we'd have tons and tons of planets. And actually, in my own estimation, and I don't think I'm alone, Pluto has still, well, we know it has its power, but even greater power that we're aware of because all the trans-Plutonian are out there with Maki Maki and a whole bunch of them, Sedna, you know, that are part of that whole realm past Pluto. So really, we have a lot to discover about what transformation even means. So, but back to this one, you were bringing the point that Pallas Athena are known as Minerva with the Greeks, same goddess. Romans. But the Romans called um, Pallas Athena. Other way around, she's Pallas in Greek and Oh, and Minerva is Roman. Oh, hey. Thank you once again. <laughs> Dyslexia of the brain cells here. Okay, very good. So, but she is conjunct at this degree on November twelfth, and yeah. So she's mm-hmm. so both right. So Saturn or Jupiter and Pluto will both be at this twenty-two degrees of Capricorn, as will Pallas Athene, and I think that. When I And I, I guess when I was first looking at this conjunction many months ago, I didn't have the asteroids in the chart I was looking at. And I immediately felt like there was a softening <laughs> to the conjunction to see her there. Um, even though she's not a very soft goddess, she's the goddess of war. Um, but she's the strategist. You know, in Greek mythology as Athena, where we have Ares as the god of war, She's the strategist. She tells them where to fight. She tells and them what to do. Their and sister, she, I think. And, yeah, and so he, she's the one who comes up with how to effectively go after things. Yes. And then Aries or Mars goes after them. And so there's this piece of there being strategy to this, because these energies of Jupiter being 
immense, right? It's the largest planet in our solar system. And Zeus in the Greek pantheon, there's this enormity to the energy of Jupiter. And uh, Jupiter does nothing halfway, right? Like it's the sky, but, yes. Um, and then you have this enormous energy and then transformation. So it's huge change that could feel very disruptive, that could feel very unsettling. And yet the added element of having Pallas there gives it purpose. Mm. It's not just sort of, I mean, there's an element of Jupiter-Pluto conjunct in Capricorn that could feel like a massive earthquake. And I hope that that doesn't happen, but that's it. And I hope that that's just more metaphorically. It's like this shifting of the everything that's stagnant. Capricorn, when it's out of balance, is such stagnant energy. And Pluto breaks up that stagnation and Jupiter saying, oh yeah, no. And in really big ways. Yes. And hopefully... The, this added element, this added coloring of palace brings in some logic to it, right? She's the goddess of wisdom. Yes, so I was there's thinking. a purposefulness to the transformation. Um, I like very much that you've noticed that palace is there. And a little bit about the mythology. I know that she sprung from her father's head after he swallowed. And I know for people that go, what? What is this a soap opera? But the fact is, it's, it's all um, metaphors. And there is great depth in it because there's shadow side to it. Jupiter was married to Meta of wisdom and uh, you had reminded me, the prophecy was is that the uh, as he had usurped his father's power and Saturn, and Saturn had usurped Uranus's power, that someone would usurp his power, a child. And so he decided no more children with, with and that, and, and I don't think it, it was also, I think that Meta had more power, more wisdom than he did. And so he made her into a fly, and then swallow the fly as it worked out. But as all shadow work, and it's so interesting that Pluto is involved because that's our shadow that we work through to get to these treasures in the debris. Out comes from his head, Athena, palace of this, uh, as his daughter, without a mother, really. I mean, in a sense, you could say she was transformed. It was an internal process of this great wisdom and strategy. So she had transformed into this energy, which is the higher sense. So here we have the father-daughter. You had brought that up, mm -hmm. which is because Pluto who and their brothers. And so there's a lot of these energies are very close to us. You know, it's not something that's distracting. They're very... Like it's our cerebral, it's the sky, the expansiveness, and then it's the deep undercurrents of our transformational looking at the rebirth of uh, the, what's been composited. Because Pluto, he took his sister's daughter Persephone 
although I think Persephone liked it because she was a goddess then. So we're going on and on. But the fact is, is, is this male-female relationships. And mm -hmm. so you had, I expounded on this and you were the one that reminded me that it was this family relationship in some ways. But what were you thinking when you thought father-daughter? What were well, you thinking? Just Dr. So there's this interesting connection that it's like, oh, they're meeting up. Right, that father and daughter are connecting, um, and it's interesting that with the Saturn Pluto conjunction that sort of kicked in twenty twenty and all its uh, upheaval, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word, a thirty eight series was there, and series has is very much part of Pluto's mythology, mm. and now we have. Pallas, who's very much a part of Jupiter or Zeus's mythology and their stories or their story. I mean, all the, the challenge in telling any myth is that you have to tell them all because they're all connected. But yes, I know. <laughs> um, but they're in terms of I me, mean, if you were, you know, I'm teaching my niece Greek mythology right now, and they're really key characters in each other's stories, right? Ceres is very much part of 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 Pluto's story and uh, Pallas very much part of Jupiter's story if you were to if you when you do compartmentalize them out um, which is I, go ahead oh I was just thinking from listening to you I see that their relationship is one of collaboration you mm -hmm. know you often you think of an advisor and often there are children that you know whether they're going to have some in the ancient days with royalty, you know, there was an advisor that one would hopefully count on, although there's always those stories too where the child did the father, the parent. And it wasn't always so um, productive in that way. But in this sense, I, I see what you're saying. It could be a very, because she is connected to wisdom. And now the feminine is gaining, at least in part of the world, not thinking globally the whole world but no but there's our a country. shift and i think you know some of what i've come across with looking at palace you can sort of think of her as wonder woman right and the amazons oh, yeah. were part of greek culture right the amazon women is very in some ways is very representative of palace of this warrior woman of this there's a part of her never marrying and never having and there's depending, some myths say that she did have children, but certainly she was never partnered long-term, um, is an autonomy, right? She was, she was whole and complete and autonomous in and to herself, and nobody messed with Athena. She messed with people. Nobody it, messed with her. Yeah, autonomous, that's an excellent word. It is very true. Her own counsel, that deep source. So looking into this, we have many tools that are helping because it is a long process. If we go back into time, history, I know that in it, the, when the three were together, that's Pluto with Jupiter, with Pallas, or it would be the three was 1272, 1522 in the Reformation. And the last time was 1771, just before our nation. 
and also was created, or, you know, de it declared its independence. And also, I think when Uranus was discovered by William Herschel, I can't quite remember the year, but it was very close to that. Oh, yeah. And so there, and what I found really interesting about looking at this trilogy is that and I didn't go back further than the 1700s in my own exploration, but that the three of them are rarely together. That's it has, you know, the only other time since the, they're in the entire, since the late 1700s, the three of them have only been together in any sign two other times than what we've experienced this year. Hmm. Um, so once in 1833 in Aries and then the in 1771. So it is again, this, the two planets and, and, and Pallas moves very quickly, relatively quickly through the Zodiac as well. Right. But um, particularly in comparison to Pluto. Um, but the three of them have not held court together very often. And well, it's, I, so she becomes really, I think, a significant part of the story. Absolutely. I am following you. And in fact, um, look, I just noticed Neptune was discovered by mortals here was always out there in 1846 so that's a few years 1833 and i haven't looked to see when was Uranus discovered but it is like if we're looking just at jupiter and pluto it is this expansion the visionary to the sky jupiter was thunder also but it's these it's he's the gods of all the gods in other words he rules the realms of delivery of the cosmos and then Hades is what essentially is unseen is the departed souls but the living you know the souls nonetheless it's not like they were dead and gone they just weren't here part of our system so you have the whole gamut of expansion and also within so I'm thinking bringing in pa and during those years with palace okay so what I'm really getting at is that there's destruction with with Pluto. It's not a simple task. It's not just, I mean, things, what doesn't serve us, like the skin of a snake, it falls off, it's, it, it's destroyed. And as you were saying, hopefully things are not too dramatic. But with the abundance of Jupiter gives such added... Uh, creative manifestation through this whole process. So looking at Pallas Athena, there's, so in those years, because if it were 1771, you know, it was a breakthrough with Uranus. Uranus suddenly opened up the whole sky. We thought that it was just Saturn. And now there was a whole world out there. It broke the barriers. And when Neptune came around, it also, of course, then was, I think Rick Levine says, it's like Jupiter, a vision, but because it sits outside the boundary of Saturn, it there's no limit, no limit to 
the dreams and the the visions of the imagination that's the word imagination mm-hmm. of of neptune so if athena was you know like where are we going now it's going to be quite interesting it's so potent so dynamic you can only begin to see the trends of what could be rebirthed yeah and i think that there's again like she's the strategist so she's like she's setting things up to change and so maybe there's an element of her being part of this that i don't know like delays the transformation a little bit maybe that's part of why it felt like oh it doesn't feel quite as disruptive because there's a delay she's strategizing she's saying yes the change is needed but you can't be reactionary you can't just it can't just you know throw the baby out with the bathwater and be and freak out and throw everything up in the air and be too preemptive and looking at some of the other dates where they're conjunct but in other signs right we have um well they were conjunct in 2007 so there was definitely a lot of heightened buildup going on in the middle east um but you know in earlier times pretty much during the whole like korean war that was going on in leo in the mid 50s um and in then it sort of misses most of world war ii with its cycle but we get them conjunct in 31, almost to the day when Al Capone was indicted. <laughs> we can't. So again, it was a different sign, but it was this like transformation that was relatively abrupt. It's like, oh, can't, it, it's done. There's not, I, I just want, I wonder if this added piece with her brings in this, it's like setting the I stepping I think so. I think so. We can talk about abundance when we get back. This is marvelous. I am speaking with Dr. Laura Tad of Mythic Sky. You can, speaking of Jupiter here, what a wonderful name. That's her website. And of course, you can look and find Dr. Tad at the, at the uh, website. So this is October October 24th, and we will be right back with Planet Buzz. Thank you. While we take a break from this week's edition of Talk Cosmos, let's take a look at this cycle's archetype. We are currently in the yin period of Scorpio, traditionally ruled by Mars, now ruled by Pluto by departing a cycle based on comparison between extreme energies finding balance, Scorpio commits a relationship to exchange resources, experiencing power and powerlessness for the purpose of soul growth transformation. As a fixed water sign that is extreme, intense, and secretively deep, Scorpio's passionate nature questions the psychology and mystery concerning life and death. Hi, this is Willie Bodrak, a retired expat from Seattle, now living in Mexico. You're listening to Talk Cosmos on Alternative Talk 1150 AM, where we understand how to implement our free will through the cosmos. Don't let that herd mentality lead you off a cliff. 
We support thinking for yourself on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back. This is October 24th, Planet Buzz, with Dr. Laura Tad and myself, Sue Rose Minahan, and we're talking about the planetary pair of Jupiter conjunct Pluto, which will be occurring November 12th this year at 22 degrees Capricorn. And along with it will be Pallas Athena, which is an asteroid and was in mythology the daughter of Jupiter, sprung from his head. And as Dr. Tad very succinctly is noticing, is a strategist of wisdom because she is the goddess of war, a sister to uh, Mars. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you know we were we, so we were coming up with what will Athena be? How will she be implementing this this energy? How how does all this work together? Because it is true that these three haven't really been together much, except for uh, well, they were during the Reformation, fifteen twenty two. Like I say, from the Common Era, it was. Well, this was in Capricorn, but it was in 1272 after the Crusades, really before you could say the Renaissance. There was so much happening, and there was that plague you were mentioning that was, and that's one reason we had uh, the uh, Renaissance. And then in 1522, it was a Reformation when there was Martin Luther King said no intermediary priest between yourself and spirit and the church lost its ultimate government power and in 1771 many new worlds but so it gets back to that somehow trying to find the abundance and perhaps because it's all in Capricorn it's not just in the material it's more in the spiritual yeah, well, I think that there is this piece to it of because it's transforming it. So it's this transformation of of the concrete, the con- the transformation of the stable and consistent. Right, Capricorn is very much about that slow and steady wins the race energy, um, and um, I think this with Pluto there now it's sort of saying yeah but sometimes that's a little too slow <laughs> right <laughs> uh, and um the gift with Pallas being there is okay so ha- let's change but with intention oh beautiful word. and um that she you know she is she's the goddess of wisdom she always has the owl on her shoulder um whisper you know and owls in a lot of cultures are sort of known to sort of see between worlds oh yeah and so there's a piece of like i think that's where that was it's wisdom that is not intellectual right it's yes it may be expressed that way but it's that deep knowing that she's like it's almost like the wisdom of she's channeling, right? She's operating as a channel um, of wisdom that is divine knowing. And um, this higher, you know, when she's, 
her higher expression is that higher knowing. Part of why she is Pallas Athena and not just Athena, because Pallas was another character in mythology. Um, Pallas was a nymph of war and she and Athena were friends and they were sparring one day playfully and Athena accidentally kills her. Oh, that's right. And as Pendants takes on her name and that which she ruled. Mm. And, and also as a way of honoring her friend. To give recognition, yes. To give recognition to her friend and out of a sense of responsibility because it was an accident and, and someone needed to govern that, right? And someone. <clears throat> and go ahead. Well, I was thinking by govern that promotes in my brain to remember that that misfortune and to consciously uh, navigate or to, to align oneself so that that would to avoid that ever happening again you know right. because obviously they 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 started out in sport but yet unconsciously did not realize the consequences that could could occur and that often happens so what does one have but to to really reflect on what you can do to change to really keep yourself in that ultimate alignment and so i i yeah and so i think that's where if we like look at what's happening and we bring it down more microcosm even beyond the global okay how it's clear how this metaphor works collectively on the planet but individually the transformations that we're going through and how we have navigated a tumultuous year and that our way of returning to or maintaining some sense of homeostasis is through strategy that we can't, we won't be effective if we just say, okay, well, that doesn't work and I'm going to throw it all out and rebuild. That won't be productive. That won't work effectively. Um, and so, nor will holding on to old ways desperately because they're crumbling in our fingers. Mm -hmm. So at an individual level, we're being asked to restructure ourselves, our lives, how we view life and what we want to do with the time we have here in a strategic way. In a, yeah. so that it can be manifest, which is part of that Capricorn energy. Yeah, it's through the turns, really the path, you know, the light, you can only see as far. I'm thinking when you said the owl, oh my gosh, today I bought a card for a dear friend in her 90s who loves owls. And it says, because it's Halloween time, mm -hmm. I'll, and it says on the front, I'll, no, I'll owl owl always love you. So, but um, I boy, there's uh, anyway. Your your thoughts are just regenerating too many things here. Go ahead here. I get. I was trying to because this beacon of regenerated opportunity. That's really a a deep involved process go mm -hmm. ahead dr tan here i'm i'm, I'm yeah. 
mulling well, it over I, before I, yep. So just this idea of it's both how to welcome the change in a way that is less disruptive. Oh, right. I know what I was thinking too. Eris, the goddess mm. of discord, and I was realizing it wasn't just discord, it was recapped in a better way. I think it was Philip Sedgwick that came up with this, but it was the finding the truth of the uncomfortable truth. And I know you were mentioning here in the words, in, if I can recap what you were saying, that, that uh, tr aligning with truth. And I've been reflecting over the last week or so about truth because, oh, intention, that's it. Really, if one's in, how do we know ultimate truth? There are ways, there are the global cosmic truths that, you know, do unto others as do unto you and etc. But yet the momentarily truth of a situation or judgments and assessments, it's what the what we can anchor ourselves to is this intention. And depending on our consciousness of our values and what we consider to be of value, that leads us as far as it will. So what I'm getting at is I can see that intention is really the ring to hang on to because maybe one's intention was confused with some value systems, but yet it won't, quote, uh, um, do us in, as, as Liza said in the music, what was it, that, you know, the, the, the musical, um, but the, pardon for that little cliche there, but vernacular, um, so it's, it's, it's interesting because we're all working to find this truth. You know, there is great discord in turbulence, as you put this mm -hmm. year. And Eris is in, Pluto is actually in so many relationships this year of transformation. And one of them is he is square Eris mm -hmm. um, in a 500-year cycle and that's been happening three times this year too so that's like a another theme underneath saying grab the the truth but leading mm -hmm. as you said using our intention is a good guideline with yeah, palace the, yeah that intention that strategy why are you doing it what is the what is the purpose behind it Right. And that can be used in all parts of life. Right. There's a whole I'm spacing his name, but this British marketing guy who talks about, you know, you lead with your why. His oh. whole line, his tag phrase is people don't buy what you do, what you do. They buy why you do it. And so if you lead with why, then you hook people. And so for yourself, that need of like, what's your why? What's your purpose? If you're trans, things are transforming. Well, why? If you want it to be different, why? What is it that's not just change for the sake of change? It's part of that strategy. It's if you want it to look different, you have to strategize. You can't just, you know, the universe manifests a lot for us, but we still have to um, know what to ask for. Yes, that relates to this question earlier in, about abundance. If mm -hmm. our goal has abundance in some form, prosperity, however we view it. I was reading 
most interesting. It's not that we create abundance because abundance exists. There are a trillion zillion cells. There's drops in an ocean. There's blades of grass. It's it's a it's a factor of an, a reality, but we can tap into it. So it's really what do we see abundance as? And of course, at some terms, it becomes manifested into a physicality. But yet, if we also really embrace the uh, abundance of, of, of joy, the abundance of love, the abundance of, I know these sound, but, but, but it's true, you know, just of being relaxed. I know even today, because I've been moving and I'm feeling less pressure. Like, right. Yeah. Abundance what? of time. <laughs> I was just remembering there's a spiritual teacher that I am spacing his name. Uh, but so it, it's, you can reframe abundance. And the way this teacher talked about it was abundance is having what you need to do what you need to do when you need to do it. Oh, say that again, please. That's just having I, what you need to do what you need to do when you need to do it. Yes. And that that is true abundance. And that can be material or emotional or spiritual or, you know, it, it manifests in a multitude, but whatever that is, when you have what you need to do what you need to do at the time it needs to happen, you are living a life of abundance. Yeah. Like time, having time, time to create, time to finish the process that can be abundance having i mean it can be something as simple as like i have the ingredients i need to make the dish i need to make in order to feed my family at the time everybody needs to eat that's an abundant moment and rather than i think that as a culture we have confused abundance with excess that's a good word. Uh, that's very distinctive. Abundance versus excess. Because lack, I'm thinking of the word lack, which is very scorpionic and plutonic and Capricorn. You know, not, it is, does one have enough? And because it's scorpionic, it's because thing, life is getting fed through resources that create life or else it's depleted because it's not sustaining that life. It's outgrown it because of growth. It's just like the rings of a tree. They keep building another ring. It's a factor of life. And on some terms, needs and wants, abundance, it's very true. The depth, the true depth of, I mean, so often, Yes, and I'm not trying to get too economical because I do understand that truly having enough to pay for your roof or pay for your food and get where to your job or to have it, you know, these are necessities. But that's where, but that is also, that could be, that's where abundance, living an abundant life is not having more than you need. That, I mean, people can live simple lives that are still abundant lives. Well put. And that focuses on it without saying poverty or poor and all these other measurements of declaration that 
are coming really from exterior people, not from the persons themselves necessarily, like so many times. Because what does matter truly? What sustains life? It gets so involved. And for good reason right now, there's complex energies. You know, Pluto, as I'm saying, is not just in relationship with Jupiter, but it's had with Saturn starting that 38-year cycle that it's triggering right now coming up at the same degree on the 20, on November 12th. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like these echoes, these re- reverberations of um, and yeah, and it of that time for sure. It kicks that point back up. Yes. Um which as well Saturn can be scarcity mentality. Right? Yes, which is the opposite of abundant mentality. Yeah, fear. Mm-hmm. Um and and but I think part of that reframing is that learning that abundance doesn't have to be material. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that you, yes, you need your basic needs met. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Absolutely. But I've known very, very wealthy people who live not abundant lives. And it doesn't mean they don't spend absurd amounts of money on little things. They do. But they're not living an abundant life. And I think... Um, mm. Part that might this, be part of this. Yeah, and part of this too is the mm-hmm. moment. Real, like you were just talking about having food, and you know the ingredients of a dish, which I relate to. I have liked to cook many times, and uh, the point being that it's also sent. It's being connected to that moment of of completing that. If a per, I was trying to think to myself, well, now what would make it? not abundant because one had abundant a the first factor is one doesn't recognize or acknowledge the fact that they have enough and be thankful for that and experience that and second that one's distracted by some other pressure or demand that doesn't where oneself is not connected you know to that moment so it's Mm -hmm. There's a lot of self-responsibility here to be grounded, to be centered in and thankful for teeny, teeny little things. It, it does help. I know that it's just with these retrogrades with Mars. I mean, we, it's, we're still in two retrogrades right now, Mercury and Mars. That the energy of has taken... Let's just say anything you want to have happen seems to be revised quite a few <laughs> times. And um, so one has to stop and think, okay, I can sit here and be really upset or else finally realize what, what is working and be thankful that for the whole pattern. Because sometimes it related that it had, obviously it, what I was going to do wasn't um, the, the direction and the best you know, there was another, had other things that were necessary. Right. I mean, that's, that's very indicative of the retrograde right. energies of you think you're going one direction and life has other plans. Yeah. Um, so we have a choice to be thankful. And I'm just thinking that helps with abundance. It, it's really tight. Yeah. I think that that's, that's part of that is, is, grateful for what we, so that if you, 
when we don't have what we need at the time that we need it, that we're grateful for what we do have, right? So, because it can be something as simple as you could be totally financially solvent, but if you're making a dish and suddenly you're making a Thai dish and you realize you don't have any ginger at home, you can't oh, yeah. make the dish you want to make. <laughs> doesn't matter how much money's in the bank, no. right? So, what you could have that be something that is disruptive to your life and throws you and has you emotionally out of balance, or you regroup and you say, okay, well, what can I, I'm thankful for what I do have. What can I make given what is? Um, and regroup and say, okay, well, maybe we'll make Thai food without ginger tonight, or we'll make it Mexican instead, because it's you know, all kind of the same thing, but different herbs. So I'm, I'm- yeah, I'm looking at this chart. Now, let's see how many. We do have a few minutes here. Because the chart would be January 12th. Yeah, it's an intense chart. Yeah, We've and then. got a T-square going on. But on top of that, on a bi-wheel, would be the November 12th chart. So, of course, mm-hmm. uh, well, I say, of course, the reason is, is that Jupiter um, and uh, Pluto, Jupiter, and uh Palace are all conjunct that 22 degrees of Ceres, Pluto, Saturn, and of course Mercury was a degree away, and the Sun was a degree away in the other direction. So they're all they're jumped in. But the other uh, alignment that's most interesting is the Moon today with is conjunct well within a degree Venus, and it's conjunct that's 18 degrees Libra. That's not today, folks. That's November 12th. And it'll be conjunct Venus. And it is, the aspect is conjunct Juno, Mm. 19 degrees Libra. Juno has been in Libra all year, which I've focused on for various reasons. There's been dynamic, you know, of of our um, alignments. You know, she was the wife of... Uh, it's marriage, you know, the, what are we married to? And here in Libra of partnerships and, and trying to complement and extremes, you know, polarities, all kinds of things, trying to navigate that and create a balance out of it. But I'm just thinking that, and of course they're square, you know, it's in a nice square, yeah, and Mars gets pulled into there too. So and Eris, Eris is is opposite, yeah. so it's really a very strong sense of our personal emotions of and and what we attract with our partnerships there that are deep in the eighth. This is on the west coast eighth house, and this this finding the truth, you know, of Eris that's also squaring you know, this whole Capricorn energy that is probably a seed moment Mm -hmm. for hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, I think that's more, it's a good way to think about it is as the seed rather than a switch that's going to get flipped and wake up and the world's different. Um, That, because if we look at it from, you know, historically, it's before major events by a few years, right? I mean, this Jupiter-Pluto palace conjunction is 
five years before the Declaration of Independence is signed. Oh, yes. And so we were thinking, it's, it's unifying, I think, and thinking, uh, she is a female and Athena, and it's this collaboration of the masculinity and the femininity, the solar and the lunar, like I had started mm -hmm. off in my little confusion, we have a Scorpio sun with a reef and the, the Aquarius moon is reflecting that. Uh, right. Yeah, Scorpio sun as Gemini Brett would also. I like how he presents that. So I, I've been bringing it up. But the point is, is that we are in a combination. And so we're renewing these whole paradigms. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I think that might be part of this father daughter energy that's brought in, right? Mm. That with the, the Juno Jupiter. Oh, um, yes, because Juno too, yes. Juno, Jupiter in play and Pallas and Jupiter that it brings in because she was his wife and then his second wife. Um, and she too is super powerful. And so it it brings in this and a different way of looking at power. What is a, a different way of understanding in power, you know, that, that empowerment mm. versus power over. Yes. And, you know, and that that's part of hopefully now that's been part of my hope the whole time Pluto has been in Capricorn is it would help us transform our relationship with power and authority so that it's, you know, it's, you want to have authority over your own life. That's understandable, but that's different than being authoritative. Having yes. authority and being authoritative are not the same thing. Being empowered and power over are not the same thing. And developing this healthy relationship with power, the healthy relationship with authority. And with others. With, Speaking of, yeah. you know, in, in, in Libra. In relationship to, to ourselves and to others, be that in a dyadic right? Yeah. Just you and one other person or in a collective sense. Yeah, very um, sustaining. So in a growth yeah. oriented exchange, you know, building. Next week, I suddenly looked at the clock, will be cosmic collaboration and with, and so we'll be back that next week. And tonight I'm speaking with Dr. Laura Tad of Mythic Sky. We have been really digesting this enormous energy signature of Jupiter and Pluto for regenerating, as we've just finished with power and yet relationship of ourself, what is abundance. Oh my gosh, we hope to include growth for the many millenniums, yes? Thank you, Dr. Tad. It's been, Thank you for having me again. Yeah, and we do have a couple of seconds. The music goes on just to say that we have a minute, so we don't have it's sort of nice to... Yeah, but yeah, I think that maybe to finish up here, that letting this, you know, going with the change and transformation, I think that one of the challenges with astrology is that when you have a little bit of knowledge, sometimes it can be scary 
because you'll look at what looks like an intense mm -hmm. aspect, an intense signature, and can go into fear. And so just to know it's all, it's about change and transformation and using that Athenian, Palestinian energy of strategizing. Yes. Oh, very good. Well, thank you. I, with love to you, Dr. Tad, and all our people. I mean, everywhere. <laughs>Thank you for listening to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 6 p.m. to continue finding your roots in the stars.